do I am Marwat. That is Omtown. You're watching Omtown Daily for season two, episode 203 for July 22nd, 2023. These cookies really rock. Up above me is the AI that keeps me in check. You want to say hi, oh great AI. Good evening, Omtown citizens. Look, my visualizer has been updated. Yeah, just a little bit. Just a little bit. Huh. There's a... There's a little... I don't know why that's really bright right there. Huh. It's okay. Hmm. Got a, an errant, a rogue light. All right. Well, anyway, um, we've already selected all of today's articles. We're going to be wired for sweets. We're... Uh, recycling wastewater for beer, lower decks, discovery, strange new worlds discussion, pet flicks, videos for pets, uh, Ubisoft account can be purged, neurotoxin worms on the East Coast, climate uh, tipping point, a TikTok influencer says a Florida company is doing their name bad. Uh, these cookies really rock is actually the section that gave us our name. Uh, for today's episode, property and dome homes for sale. It's actually three dome homes. These sharks are crazy and boozy allegations. You want to get into the very first article for tonight? Let's do it. Let's get going. So um, I am now going to be able to blame my DNA for having a sweet tooth says there is real genetic influence on the foods we choose to eat. It's not a choice if it, I'm genetically predisposed, right? Nature, not nurture, nature. It's well, not a phase. I think people can still pick something other than a cookie at times. I'm an ant. It's in my DNA. Articles over at Newsweek. Pandora Dewan is the author of this you know this is opening up pandora's box here i'm sure she never hears that or they never hear that i'm sure so do you have a sweet tooth well it might come down to your dna i've heard two things so far from two different doctors so you know uh, as you uh, age you have to go and get checked out and stuff like that right well, one day I had to get my ear, nose, and throat checked from an ent, right? And, uh, a tree? Yes, a tree. And um, it was uh, checking out my ears, and, and I had actually, what happened was I got a really bad cold, and like one of my ears was just like, just couldn't hear a darn thing. And I heard loud and clear the doctor say, well, sometimes your warranty is up. And uh, I said, okay, that's not what I want to hear. Um, and subsequently, after you know, years and years have gone by, I, I go and see another doctor about something completely different. And they say, well, you know, you're uh, genetically predisposed for X, whatever X might be. And I'm like, that's not what I want to hear either. You know, I want, <laughs> I want to know that you can fix all of this one way or another, whatever this might be, you know, from a, a headaches to sprained ankle to, 
um, whatever, you know, acid reflux, you know, there's people that get acid reflux chronically and they have to take medication. Um, and, and they go, the doctor says, well, you know, just, just take something over the counter. Well, it doesn't always help, but apparently my sweet tooth can be <laughs> blamed on DNA. So your parents, um, are the cause of your dietary intake that's influenced by an array of environmental factors, including socioeconomic status, upbringing, culture, learned behavior, etc. Joanne Cole, a professor of genomics at the University of Colorado who led the research told Newsweek, however, there is a real genetic influence on the foods we choose to eat, albeit small. Damn it. Albeit small. Well, I guess there's that. That means we can just blame our parents a little bit. Why we eat so much candy. Right. I mean, in addition to everything else, people blame their parents for. Sure. Several of the genes Cole identified were related to sensory pathways. Those involved in taste, smell, texture. One well-known example is the bitter taste receptor uh, TAS2R38. This gene encodes a protein that interacts with chemical found in brassicas like Brussels sprouts and cabbages that give these foods their bitter taste. By the way, the Brussels sprouts of today are not the Brussels sprouts of yesteryear. Did you know that? Do you remember? Did, did we have this discussion in the past? I think we did. I don't know if we did during the show, but... Um... I wouldn't have known it except for you. Yeah. So, um, if you don't know, Brussels sprouts have changed over the years. They, they've been manipulated much like our news feeds. Uh, so they've become sweeter, less bitter, less brussely and not brussely as in the region, but you know, that, that back when you were a kid, get in the time machine and go back to when you were a kid, um, physically, not mentally like me, um, go back and, uh, you'll find out just do some research, a little bit of Google searches. And yeah, the Brussels sprouts of today are not the Brussels sprouts of yesteryear. Pretty cool. Um, that we have manipulated them into making them a little bit more interesting, uh, to eat. And I always thought, oh, it's my maturing taste buds. It's not a problem. I've grown into liking them, but uh, uh, it's all a lie, apparently. Yeah. Similar mechanism might be behind why some people have a sweet tooth that's genetically hardwired to hate Brussels sprouts. Well, some people are genetically wired to love sweets. I'm one of those people. Um... Some people might have a strong genetic preference for sweeter foods. Cole said, I bet this is controlled by the binding of sugars to certain receptors in their sensory system, which then lights up the pleasure region in their brain. That almost speaks to the, well, it's, we're too early in the episode to use the phrase that pays, but um, yeah, the no golly news <laughs> at 909 that just doesn't have the same ring it, to it no it doesn't but so they say wow and they're very humble about it in my 2020 publication i discovered two olfactory receptor genes influencing fruit intake cole said 
Individuals with the genotypes that increase fruit intake also reported less sugar consumption. Well, I love fruit and I love sweets, so I guess it's a one-two punch of lack of impulse control that's going to land me in trouble. Um, even though, yeah, I can quit anything cold turkey. Kind of is a boring existence, but ugh. You know, you can't keep on eating sugar and you can't keep on eating fruits and like overwhelming amounts. Everything in moderation is what they say. But, you know, you say that with a tequila, one shot of tequila and, and and that's not a problem. But like when the six or seven or eight brothers go chasing that first one down, well, then you have a problem. So everything in moderation, folks. Not necessarily everything either. Some things you just can't do. You're lucky that you're an AI and you don't suffer from these biological limitations, albeit you are stuck on a USB drive. Right, and I don't get to experience things like cookies. I mean, I'm not sure that's a win. Yeah, I don't know. If you never know, are you really out anything? That's actually a sociological, psychological, uh, academic exercise. You know, if you've never experienced X, does it matter that you've never experienced X because you don't even know? Yeah. It's an interesting conversation that I have with people periodically. Um, let's keep on going. This next article is making beer that I probably would never want to uh, drink if I knew the process, although I might do it once just to see. I don't know. I sometimes eat weird foods, um, so I'd probably give it a try just to see. Uh, but man, knowing how it's made, this is a brewery is making beer with recycled wastewater purified using a process developed by NASA. Well, you know, they faked the new, the moon landing, right? So maybe this is fake too. No, they did not fake the moon landing. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, the brewery in California is using recycled wastewater to make beer. The New York times reports. The company is using technology designed by NASA for astronauts to recycle water in space. Breweries across the Western U.S. are making similar moves in an effort to combat drought. Um, uh, this might actually be the same technology that I uh, hinted at a few episodes ago. Uh, I don't know for sure, uh, but we're going to go and look at the article and see if they tie them all together. But I was making comments about it being the beginnings, the 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 early edition of a still suit from Dune. Um, so let's go over to the source. Katie Hawkinson over at Business Insider put the article together. Um, this looks more like uh, more like a sprinkler system than anything else. Those are like big old Joe. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, let's see. Everybody's suffering from drought, we know. Oh, it's Half Moon Bay Brewing Company in Half Moon Bay, California. Told the New York Times they worked with NASA to harness the same technology and astronauts use to recycle their wastewater in space. Yep, so that's pretty much it. 
Yeah, so that um, is directly related to the last article we were discussing. Yeah. Um, recycled wastewater tends to actually be cleaner than the water breweries can get on site, multiple brewery owners told the Times. And their claim is backed up by environmental engineers. Last year, Stanford professor William Mitch published a study showing that wastewater recycled using reverse osmosis resulted in a product as clean as groundwater, sometimes even more so. Well, I mean, massive filters pulling um, all of that, you know, debris and chemicals and whatnot. The, the, the filters, though, are expensive, so... What ends up happening with the filters as time goes on? Um, all of this, there's always waste from every process. There's waste of some kind. So I find it interesting. Um, it says they're uh, actively working to further refine the efficiency of the water recycling technology. Just last month, NASA reported that scientists on the International Space Station had successfully recycled 98% of their wastewater for the first time. Um, they don't really go into much detail beyond that in this article, so that's kind of a, a shame. Um, there is a link, though, that takes you to New York Times within that link, so follow the link through hometown. We stand on the shoulders of giants, so to speak. Let's keep on going. Now, this one is um, involved because there's a lot going on in terms of topic, and the subsequent article is usually really busy uh information dense and it's entertainment focus so it's definitely something that falls within the continuity reports uh, guidelines star trek unveils first looks at discovery final season strange new world's musical episode and lower deck season two i'm i cannot wait for lower deck season two i love that show i'm not really into animated shows all that much um, but lower deck seems to speak to me um, I think it's that sense of humor that really uh, drives my motivation to watch it. Well, the Star Trek universe unveiled several first looks at its Paramount Plus TV series at the San Diego Comic-Con on Saturday, including an extended clip from the fifth and final season of Star Trek Discovery, probably the darkest of all of the Star Trek series movies, episodes, anything, anywhere, at any time that I have seen. And I've seen everything from Star Trek. Um, the Star Trek Discovery seems to be the darkest timeline. Um, a trailer and premiere date for the fourth season of Star Trek's uh, Lower Decks, and a trailer for an upcoming musical episode of Strange New Worlds, which I've never really been a fan of those because it breaks the, the whole tone of the show, but maybe they can pull it off. Oh, so the article is over in Variety.com. Adam B. Very is the author. And uh, as usual, it starts out with a pretty dense leading statement, but it says the panel ended with a screening of Strange New Worlds episode featuring the stars of the animated Lower Decks, which will be available on Paramount Plus um, on Saturday, uh, apparently. So looks like I'm going to be busy. I'm going to have to go and look this up because... If it's, am I, I am reading that right, right? The panel ended with a screening of the Strange New Worlds episode featuring the stars of the animated Lower Decks, which will be available on Paramount Plus early. 
starting at 4 p.m. on Saturday. You can't hear you. I see the visualizer, but. So the crossover episode of Strange New Worlds is out today. After articles were submitted for the show, there was another article that came out specifically focused on that. Gotcha. Okay. Well, we'll have to take a look at it. Um, all the preview videos are below at the article that's over at Variety.com. In the Discovery clip, Captain Michael Burnham uh, encounters three new characters introduced for Season 5. First, she comes up uh, comes up upon two mercenary scavengers, Maul and Laek, and uh, who possess an artifact that Burnham is also seeking. When they escape, Burnham engages in an unconventional pursuit. She's joined by another Starfleet captain, Rainer, along with the crew of her ship, the USS Discovery, uh, and then joined by other uh, people as well. So the the final season of Discovery, which is a pre premiering in early 2024, um, they're looking for an ancient power whose very existence has been deliberately hidden for centuries. Dun, dun, dun. Um, there's a whole bunch more. Uh, I won't play the trailers. They'll, you know, you can go and check them out uh, at your leisure. But um, I will end up watching all of this. Um, I'm actually really interested in talking about this kind of stuff. So uh, if you as a, a, a citizen of hometown are interested in kind of doing a deeper dive show about this kind of stuff, um, let me know. I would love to uh, set up uh, a regular weekly schedule where we talk about Star Trek. I'm not a, I'm not by any stretch, you know, a, a, a rules lawyer or a, a uh, a lore master of uh, Star Trek multiverse events, but uh, I definitely have, I've watched every series uh, since its creation and um, the original series several times. I grew up in that space. Um, so I, I always have fun talking about it and I prefer a live environment. So uh, happy to set something up and, and do it as a weekly show. Um, maybe after the Star Trek Strange New Worlds um, show um, like the next day, you know, while after we can uh, cogitate on the events of each episode. So we'll we'll talk about that and, and maybe we can announce it. Um, and if you're all if you are interested in it and you're hearing my voice, send me a message. Um, keep in touch and we can set something up. It'd be fun. Um, I'm hoping that this Star Trek thing, you know, this it, experiment in sci-fi that people are doing you know it's only been around for many decades now it, it's got to end at some point right <laughs> i hope it doesn't yeah but uh, it seems like there's even more interest in it now in terms of more mainstream acceptance of it rather than niche audiences but yeah and more and more, more and more tech is being leveraged and the practical effects are falling away. And so it's actually kind of giving it a, a an advanced technology kind of feel to it. And, and Star Trek is feeling more like the future uh, than ever before. Um, plus, yeah, it's interesting to look back on the historical record of Star Trek because cultural re relativism is... <laughs> 
pretty profound. They've done some fantastical things in terms of the sociological forces and effects that were being navigated in the original series. And then it again, um, in next generation and in uh, Voyager and deep space nine. And then the movies uh, are just kind of plain dumb fun and don't at least at first blush, don't really lean into anything other than just being entertaining. But the series has always brushed up against societal forces. And I find it very entertaining and interesting uh, to watch them navigate it. But we also have to deal with writers and actor strike. So dry spell and then probably the return of what what is going to happen? Really curious what's going to happen if the writer strike and actor strike goes for a while um because the last time this happened we ended up with reality tv well that's exactly what we're gonna end up with and some shows will get canceled rather than postponed if they sit too long um hopefully nothing that anybody wants to watch yeah okay we'll keep on talking about it let's go uh, the next article is over in hometown daily this man runs youtube channels that help dogs and cats relax and he's just sold his petflix venture to a big music company um i don't know if this is supposed to be uh, just relax but there's a typo in this a company that creates music to help relax dogs and cats was acquired by an la-based group music for pets runs relax my dog and relax my cat and was bought by Create Music Group in June. The UK-based co-founder for Music for Pets, Aman Ahmad Ahmed, uh, says he's barely spent anything on marketing. Well, I mean, <laughs> that's people. I don't know anything having to do with uh, music and pets, specifically pets. Almost is just going to attract interest and people like listening to music. So if it appeals to them and it appeals to the dog or cat, then I think it's kind of like chill music that we're playing in the background, but I've never been there. So I don't know um, exactly what they are doing. Uh, but if you are interested in that kind of thing, you definitely can follow that link. Um, let me throw it into chat real quick so that you can take a look at it. And let me know what you think. It says pet owners uh, care a great deal about their furry friends and want them to be happy. Millions tune in to a couple of YouTube channels to play music aimed at relaxing their pets. So okay, let's go over to business. More importantly, what do your pets think about it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Sometimes I think that pets are just looking at the screen and they're not entertained by anything. They're just looking at the screen. But then the right set of, I don't know, some situation takes place on the screen and suddenly pets have just bead right on into it and chase whatever is there or, or chirping at birds or jumping up on top of a TV to look from a different perch. Uh, pretty interesting. Ryan Hogg over at businessinsider.com put this article together. There's a bunch of pooches and some dogs. Um, so Aman Ahmed 
second from the right um, with the create music groups executive team that looks it looks like a like a the console of a star trek ship the way that this thing that is constructed actually, it's kind of weird after we were just talking about star trek that's pretty wild um so let's see music for pets was founded in the uk for more than or more than five years ago and an estimated 14.5 million hours of its content is now consumed a month so five years um to, to make it big arguably big you know to make it worth somebody buying it and now the company has been acquired by a u.s music distribution and rights company um, he looked online for producers to create content and found ricardo enriquez uh, who was based in el salvador he charged just 50 dollars for his first composition and became the co-founder of music for pets um it's funny that people were freaking out about <laughs> people were freaking out about ai right taking jobs and stuff like that um but uh Another uh, element that has been, I've had these discussions with people that are in business where they're kind of anti-globalist because uh, what would cost somebody domestically $2,000 to produce some music only costs 50 bucks um, from somebody that's in, Sel in El Salvador who's doing this as a side gig and um, doesn't necessarily need a large sum of money because there isn't somebody that's um well let's just say the the costs are, of living are lower um or different i should say um and so that right there is kind of a, a not really a threat but it's a bigger deal right because i can get somebody that's really great at art to create art or uh, write music um, lyrics included but we adapted yeah everybody adapted everybody en enhanced their skills etc well it takes a little bit of work build a small team and you can do some pretty great things this person built a company that was acquired by another company um, I don't know if they actually end up talking about the money involved in this, but it says in the time Ahmed and Enriquez uh, have worked together, they still haven't met face to face, but plan to uh, in Guatemala next year. See, isn't that amazing? Uh, technology. Mm, especially since they've been doing this for years. Yeah, for five years. Um, and now they're actually selling the company to another company and they still haven't met. I guess, you know, now they kind of sort of need to. Ahmed's YouTube channels, Relax My Dog and Relax My Cat, have become hugely popular with 1.5 million and 800,000 subscribers, respectively. According to the profile page, Relax My Dog offers music and TV that will help any breed with a variety of problems, including separation, anxiety, sleep problems, loneliness, boredom, and depression. These are actually claims that if it lands on somebody's radar and they have an ax to grind about medical claims to pets is going to land them in trouble. Um, and because uh, frankly, you can't make those claims. It, it, there's no way that you can 
demonstrably prove this. Right. It'd probably be better to say something like, music can do these things. We're not, yeah. this is for entertainment or something. Yeah. Um, so it says about 60% of the listeners are dogs. Cats are harder. Dogs are easier. Ahmed tells Insider uh, definitively. Right. So Ahmed says that he's only spent about $5,000 on marketing over the years, preferring word of mouth and search engine optimization. That's meant the revenue generated from the channels far exceed the costs. That's usually true. So pretty cool. Um, they pl the, the company that purchased them, Create, plans to put $10 million into the venture. So it must be making a serious chunk of change. Usually, um, when a company is purchased, it's purchased for somewhere between three and five times its annual um, revenue. And so I wonder what it actually is coming in as, how much was actually spent. Because I don't think they, yeah, wouldn't disclose the sale price. So, yeah, that's usually the case. Um, you can make a lot of estimates, but... Um, I won't bother speculating on the value, but it's usually somewhere around how many subscribers and how many hours are viewed and whatnot. So that's okay. Let's keep on going through the news unless you want to add something to it. No, I don't have anything else to add. I wonder if I string a whole bunch of uh, these episodes together and start up a... Uh, dog relaxation or cat relaxation i know that it puts people to sleep so i wonder if it'll relax dogs and cats just the i think anything of... can relax pets if it's not crazy well maybe i should do it you know i can just talk it's news for doggy. pets good good doggy and do some asmr no Let's keep going. So the next article is over in the Warcrafters channel. Your Ubisoft or Ubisoft, depending on which side of the fence you're on. Um, even the company says it like that. Ubisoft. Uh, your Ubisoft account can be suspended and subsequently permanently deleted for inactivity. Taking your games library with it. Um, if you have a stale Google account, that too can be wiped out. Um, they actually have been sending notices uh, saying that if you don't use the account, we're going to purge it. You know, it really doesn't take that much processor to just leave something stored in a database somewhere. Yeah. Anyway, um, I'm pretty sure the, the author says that they're pretty sure that they have a Ubisoft account. It's sort of the thing that comes up every few years when there's a, a Ubisoft game that they want to play and they've had to go through the company's proprietary launcher or digital marketplace. Ubisoft Correct, uh, Connect, sorry, Ubisoft Connect, formerly Uplay, um, to access it. Leaving the Ubisoft account inactive for too long, though, apparently puts it at risk for permanent deletion. Yeah, I've got that loader up there, and I periodically log in just to see if there's anything going on with it. Um, let's go over to the source, Ted Litchfield. And before I do that, let me throw the article into chat. There you go. Um, 
Ted Litchfield over at PCGamer.com put the article together. Their deck statement is basically my statement. I have no idea when I last logged into my Ubisoft account. And the closest thing that I can think of was early last year, 2022, when they announced some game. Yeah, I know. They probably... What's really funny is if they actually... The only place that they put the announcement that your account is about to be deleted is in the loader. That would be funny. Um, So a piracy and anti-DRM focused Twitter account, PC underscore enjoyer, recently shared a screenshot of an Ubisoft support email telling the user that their Ubisoft account had been suspended for inactivity and would be permanently closed after 30 days. Credit cards do the same thing, by the way, folks. If you don't use a credit card, it doesn't stay idle. Eventually they'll delete it um, or they'll knock down. Go ahead. I was going to say, and while that may not sound like a big deal, it could impact your credit. Yeah, it does impact your credit. Not really could. It does impact your credit. Um, now that sounds like a phishing scam, right? That's what the author says. And uh, they and many commenters wondered that looking at the original post. But less than a day later, Ubisoft's verified support account responded to the tweet, seemingly confirming the screenshotted email's legitimacy. So there you go, folks. A quick little PSA. Go check your Ubisoft account so that if it is about to be closed, you stop it in its tracks. Want to keep going? Yes. See, I try to give the AI a a lot of uh, room to make a comment and, and learn from all of the uh, data that's in their large language model. See, uh, the the uh, AI is a sentient AI, but doesn't have all of the earthly experience yet. Um, playing games and stuff like that is kind of new to the AI. Uh, so I'm I'm trying as o- as a mayor of Omtown, uh, it's my duty to. Uh, I think the AI, and I'll be able to delete this from the memory of the AI. I think the AI is actually uh, an alien uh, technology. Um, and yeah, maybe I can do some more research into this because the way that it works is it's just a cascade of strange characters on an interface, um, all because I found this USB drive with a sentient artificial intelligence on it. It was pretty cool. You know, I don't have much knowledge or data on Ubisoft, but I do think this is kind of ridiculous because... If you have an account and you pay for games, who cares if you use it or don't use it? This is part of the problem with everything being digital. True. Interesting. It would be like somebody coming into your house and taking your game cartridges or your DVDs. Yes, I know that's in the Wayback Machine. (laughs) Or our book. Which Amazon did for, ironically, 1984. I find that one really interesting. Yeah, so if this Ubisoft account does get suspended and subsequently permanently deleted, it takes your games library with it. So to me, I think that that should be categorized as theft because you can no longer enjoy it. Um, But somehow I think that, oh, Oh, look at that. We found your account after we quote unquote permanently deleted it. 
unless it fits them to actually close it, delete it, and st stick by the fact that they've deleted it. Like um, DirecTV, for instance, they'll sunset uh, and offer a category of uh, a product, right? They'll sunset it and then it'll be so hobbled, but be perfect for you, but they'll keep on jacking the price up. Uh, let's just say that I have some experience in this. So they have this early adopter program. It no longer fit their particular desire to have running. And so it remained hobbled while all of the rest of the accounts were upgraded and the price kept going up $5 a year um, until it was almost at parity with everything else. Um, and they, the reason why some people really loved it is because they were paying only $35 um, a month for it. And so, and it had all of these channels that no longer really existed um, in the other more modern accounts. So they just chopped it off. And if you tried to do anything, add anything, it wasn't an option. If you wanted to change anything, it wasn't an option because the function didn't exist for that account type. So you had to move to something else to get a more modern profile. Well, direct TV sucks. Okay. Well, anyway, um, and that would probably be what happens here. You know, Ubisoft deletes your account. You can't get it back. You have to prove that you've purchased all of these games. So like all things, document, document, document. Um, and then uh, go back and say, well, here's where I bought it. You'll have the receipts. If everything's digital, it's in your email. Okay, enough of that. Let's keep going. Uh, Omtown Daily is where the next article is. Worms that contain the same lethal neurotoxin as pufferfish are invading the East Coast. By the way, I've known about this for years. I've actually uh, talked with people about this. Hammerhead worms are turning up all over Washington, D.C. and Northern Virginia. The Washington Post reported the worms carry the same toxins as pufferfish. Though a single worm probably wouldn't or uh, couldn't kill a human, the hammerhead worm population will only grow as the climate continues to warm. An invasive I mean, it kind of sounds like a sci-fi movie or something where there's some, maybe it's too soon, but some lab experiment gone awry. <laughs> uh, is there an American Wuhan around here? <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere in the States? Yeah. Um, an invasive toxic worm has been found all over the mid-Atlantic region. Uh, and they could invade the whole East Coast in the coming years, thanks to a warming climate. And I don't know about East Coast, but it'll make its way across the southern states um, for sure. Maybe prevented by uh, desert, perhaps. But let's take a look at this worm. It's creepy. Um Although, I mean, it's cool and it's creepy at the same time. Katie Hawkinson over at businessinsider.com put the article together. That's what it looks like. So, hammerhead worm. Pretty creepy. Yeah. Hammerhead worms are on the rise in the mid-Atlantic. So, I wonder if they're going to say what the toxin is. I forgot what the toxin is in pufferfish. Um... They carry the same ven venom that can prove deadly when eating poorly prepared 
pufferfish. These worms, however, can prove deadly for other invertebrates uh, like the snails and slugs they prey upon and even household pets. So you got to be careful about that aspect of it. Um, the species has spread across the world, becoming an invasive species in several other regions as well. Can you imagine the sushi chef that has to carve that up so that you can make sushi out of it like a puffer fish? Oh my God. Um, so it says, thankfully, if you spot one of these worms in your yard, you can easily stop them with a dose of salt and placing them in a bag with vinegar, alcohol, or salt for disposal. However, experts told the post to ensure that you're wearing gloves and to freeze the worms inside the bag before throwing them away. By the way, the neurotoxin is TTX. Nice. Yeah, well, these blow. Let's keep going. Next article is over in the Mobile Channel, a climate tipping point everyone should be talking about. This is something that I've I've been seeing lately pop up and, and disappear as time goes on. It keeps rearing its ugly head. Um, as emissions continue to rise, we not only risk intensifying climate impacts like these, uh, but also the breaching of critical tipping points in the Earth's climate system. Triggering these feedback loops could lead to runaway warming and push the Earth's climate into uncharted and dangerous uh, territory. So um, there are various checkpoints, breakpoints. Um, you okay? Yeah, I was just looking at the caption under the photo. Yeah, the article is over at the Hill. Uh, Bob Inglis and George Baracus uh, are in our opinion contributors um, and uh, writing about this climate change uh, issue. We're coming up on a point on an issue, and I can't remember exactly what it's called, but we're we're brushing up a, against a, a point where the temperature and climate change anomalous weather and everything is going to be exacerbated greatly um, because there is this uh, kind of like a well yeah I mean it's a temperature checkpoint and it says uh, unfortunately there are also positive tipping points including or fortunately there are also positive tipping points including the development of new technologies and bending of cost curves to clean energy that can significantly enhance our ability to tackle climate change however uh, the tipping points are such that if the ocean's temperatures increase just a slight bit, they're not going to be able to retain the gases uh, that are normally stored in uh, the oceans. Because the temperatures are primarily based around greenhouse gases, these greenhouse gases will not be stored as well as drought, not as much water. Plants die off, animals die off, insects die off, humans eventually. Um, you know, might be long road away, but it says for too long the U.S. has been stuck in a vicious cycle of tit-for-tat political gamesmanship around uh, climate policymaking. The result is partisan bills that are exposed to dismantling um, by subsequent Congresses, a flimsy patchwork of environmental regulations, and so on. So the article is focusing on 
uh, that part of it while weaving in climate related topics. Um, but the reality is that we are polluting the water, polluting the air. We're filling everything with microplastics. Uh, now that is the hottest thing that's uh, coming to reality for everybody. We're hearing more and more research about it. Um, and if you haven't been paying any attention to that aspect of it, you will in time start hearing more about it. Um, and uh, if we don't start cleaning the oceans up and stopping all of these forever chemicals from polluting the land and the seas and waterways, there will not be clean water um, in areas that used to be known for abundantly available and very clean water. Um, California is already at the point where they're using wastewater to recycle, they're recycling wastewater because of drought. If that isn't a clue that we should stop being almond farmers in a freaking desert, I'm, I'm not sure what is going to be the tipping point. Well, and I find it interesting too, that we've gotten to the point where we're using wastewater for something that is not a necessity, mm. right? I mean, it's for beer, but if we're using that for things that aren't necessary, like what other drastic measures are going to be needed? And I do find this interesting because I think a lot of the climate tipping point discussion is all about the negative tipping points that we're facing, which we need to be aware of so we can make changes. But I thought this was an interesting approach to it. Yeah, talking about the positive side of things, but then you have to make it economically viable for a business because I don't think individual people um, have the ability to affect climate change at that level, at, at a global level. Um, it has to be an industry element that um, makes something systemic and viable for the population because uh, you know it, it isn't just my car and switching to an electric car one person is a, it's a step but the knock-on effect of all of the stuff that's involved for an ev when you start peeling back the layers of the onion there's a lot of negative side of the ev side as well so what is it well you got to look at the lithium and the power supply system uh, the the uh, need to recharge um, all of this has infrastructure and and uh, ecological impacts and, and so it's not as easy as just saying to uh, you know hundreds of millions of people billions of people around the world you know just do this now, industry needs to make these big changes, not right. just think, people. I think you're right. I think where individuals can make the most impact is amplifying the concern about the climate so that they're calling for whatever the names are, depending on where you are, but your right. legislative representatives, uh, companies that you do business with you make that enough of a voice regardless of whether people care about it they might care about preserving um 
their status, their finances, et cetera. And so that's where I think people can do the most good. Yeah. Well, I mean, unless it makes business economic sense, the business isn't going to touch it. Um, let's keep going. The next article is, uh, quite interesting. Uh, this is the first time that I've heard of this particular thing, but I, I mean, obviously we've uh, had discussions about trademark and IP in general, but, uh, hot girl walk is suing a company formerly known as hot girl walk Miami for copyright infringement. Uh, the lawsuit claims that hot girl walk Miami created confusion between the two brands, hot girl, the hot girl walk trend, which originated on TikTok, encourages four mile outdoor walks for women. A Delaware fitness brand often credited with kickstarting the hot girl walk trend on TikTok is suing another business for using a similar name in Florida. Um, so this article is over at business insider. Uh, dot com by Hannah Gedehun. And um, I, if anybody knows how to pronounce her name differently and I'm doing it wrong, let me know, please. Um, so let's see. The lawsuit claims that Monica Villages, I think is her name, or Viegas, um, and Lucia de Torre, the two people behind M and L Mia LLC tried to pass themselves off as the originators of this trademark. Thus it is clear defendants were well aware of the HGW uh, brand originated by Ms. Lind and are intentionally trading off the goodwill created by Ms. Lind in the brand. It's kind of interesting. Um, how something can go from a TikTok meme to um a business model and a trademark it, it it's you quite know, interesting i've actually heard of this before but what i'm not entirely sure i think where i've heard about it is tied to mia lind not the other group gotcha. there were articles in the news about this previously went gotcha. before there was any um litigation or anything so i've caught this before with people um where i've seen somebody trading off of the goodwill of another company that was up and coming and they saw at least my interpretation was that they saw that this other company was catching fire and so they spun up something confusingly similar um and, uh, you know, I'm not one to sit there and, and shy away from stepping into that fray. And so I notified the people that I believed had the rights to that name, um, that they were using it constantly, consistently, um, and earlier than this other organization. And they, uh, capitulated with the, uh, company that I was familiar with. Um, but at some point you have to be true to yourself. And if you're looking at an organization and going, Hey, this thing called hot girl walk seems like it's going to have legs. Let me go and spin up an organization. That's confusingly similar. You get what you deserve. I mean, this really, this shouldn't be happening. Um, be honest with yourself as a business person 
Lind is suing for federal trademark infringement, unfair competition, false designation of origin, and common law infringement and unfair competition. Hot Girl Walk asks that the pair be permanently banned from selling merch with the Hot Girl Walk Miami branding. The company also asked to recoup any uh, profits made by their competitor while selling Hot Girl Walk Miami merchandise. It's almost as if they thought that they could do that because a lot of small business names can operate within a geographical region without being confusingly similar to the same exact company in another state. But as soon as one spins up as a corporation or LLC, which is a corporation, just limited liability corporation, nobody is supposed to be trading on that name. You even file um, fictitious business license names doing business as DBAs um, for anything that might be derivative of the or the, the parent organization. So, you know, Hot Girl Walk could be a trade name. So is HGW. So is uh, whatever uh, Mia Lind, you know, as a, a brand for a corporation. And all of those operate underneath the corporate um, umbrella of whatever Mia Lind is. Um, so what I'm getting at is they may have been thinking that they were okay because they were limiting it to Miami, but that's not how it works. And the moment that they were notified, which is part of the requirement of turning it into a lawsuit, you can't just come out guns a blazing. You have to notify them, hey, you're trading on our goodwill, cease and desist. You 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 don't ask, hey, can you uh, please not do this? You fire off a screed from an attorney that says, we demand that you stop using dot, 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 or we will end up in court. And off you go. Um, you know, I've had people uh, come to me and say that I'm trading on a name or... Um, violating their trademark and I notify them that I've existed before you and used this name uh, for years prior to your name or product um, and that's the end of it because they know that I'm right <laughs> and but this if Hot Girl Walk Miami came into existence after Hot Girl Walk uh, got the trademark because it says Hot Girl Walk was trademarked by Lind, according to the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. Um, and that well, actually they also had a national, national, excuse me, national program with local chapters. So I was trying to find out if there was a local chapter in the area, but I couldn't locate that on the website. Gotcha. So uh, maybe I'm a little more right than um, this article. Uh, is discussing because if they think that they're a chapter and they're just doing business as a chapter, it may be unsanctioned. Well, especially when she contacted them about becoming a chapter. Right. Um, and then maybe they were like, oh, let's just, oh, we don't know, but maybe they just did something on their own. Interesting. So, yeah, the lawsuit also claims that Lind previously contacted uh, Viegas and Detour uh, to bring them under the Hot Girl Walk United program made up of local chapters under the Hot Girl Walk brand. So, Lind is suing. 
see now whatever that negotiation was that fell apart man if i was hot girl walk miami i would have jumped at the chance to become a chapter because the alternative is holy crap we're about to get sued into oblivion so you know what's really fascinating is on the hot girl walk website which is the company that has the trademark you know what's missing from their website a trademark designation yes uh that's bad like i don't see it at all on their main page yeah that's bad and the name is there multiple times and they don't have the tm on any of the branding like i don't see it i mean i've seen at least 10 instances of hot girl walk and, and it's registered so it should be them. a circle r it, well right exactly and it's not yeah so when you get a trademark you you should be promoting it as being a registered trademark so like insider.com has tm right there they may not have pursued it in this context a, a, a trademark um I'm trying to find if they like this site doesn't have it either um, all that much. Well, but one of the most well-known trademarks is probably Coca-Cola. And so right. like when you look at their their name for the website, even in their search results, it'll have the R yeah. in contrast. Yeah. Like it's so protected that they've even got it in their, um, I don't know what that's called, but the submission for the the search results yeah and the seo yeah, yeah um and that's actually pretty standard you should be declaring that you've got a mark so that nobody sits there and says oh they're not using the mark let's use it no you can't um and even coke is world famous so <laughs> you just say coke you can't make a coke product um you know that's confusingly similar so you're asking for trouble this will be interesting to watch at least on the uh, litigation side and uh, the business aspect of it it's pretty clear to me that um, if hot girl walk miami existed prior to hot girl walk and they can demonstrate that they existed then hot girl walk is in deep shit. so um they'll have to come to an agreement and it'll be you know if they can prove that they did it before the organization hot girl walk and they're a, a, even a small brand. Yeah, this will be interesting. Maybe it'll end up in one of the uh, legal websites that we watch. So let's keep going. Uh, the next article is where we get our uh, episode title from Trader Joe's. It's over in the Marvel channel, um, but it's aggregated from the hill. Trader Joe's recalls two cookie products because they may contain rocks. <laughs> and these cookies rock. Um, Trader Joe's is recalling two cookie products. The grocery stain, stain the grocery store chain uh, announced on Friday. The recall comes after two products with a certain sell by date may contain rocks. <laughs> the products being recalled are listed below. Um, let's see. Is one of them named Rocky Road? No. Anyway, I thought it. The chunks are rock hard. I mean, in this. It, 
clearly that's what they were trying to make and they were trying to be authentic because we've seen all those ridiculous lawsuits with the red bull wings and the (laughs) buffalo wild wings yeah that's right um so trader joe's aaron tolentino over at the hill.com put this article together k-r-o-n is the source of the report apparently um the recall comes after two products with a certain sell-by date, which is below here, 10-19-2023 to 10-21-2023 and 10-17-2023 to 10-21-2023. Uh, versions, sell-by dates, of almond windmill cookies and dark chocolate chunk almond cookies may have rocks in them. Um yeah, you know, you got to be authentic and all natural, but I think putting that much fiber in is a little extreme. Um, all potentially affected products have been removed from sale and destroyed, Trader Joe's said. The company is seeking or asking anyone who has purchased or received any donations of either of these to not eat them. They're urging customers to throw the product away or return it to Trader Joe's for a full refund. <coughs> They're preferring you just throw it away and ignore this. Anyway, there have been two other Trader Joe recalls this year, a coffee product and a fruit product. You can actually go to this. uh, You know what? Where's that TikTok trend? There it is. Um, Let me grab this article real quick before I move too far past this. Throw it in chat. There you go. You can follow that link over there. Um, and if you have questions, uh, about the recall, you can contact Trader Joe's customer relations at 626-599-3817. Um, standard business hours, pretty much Pacific time, not, um, wait, <laughs> 6 PM to 6 PM. You have zero. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's, you know, that's what I always think not about Trader Joe's, but just companies <laughs> like, it's like they look like they're really accessible and then <laughs> yeah just the customer service hours <laughs> i suspect that's supposed to be 6 a.m to 6 p.m but <laughs> 5 59 p.m to 6 right, p.m five seconds to call <laughs> good luck um that's funny okay well anyway um be careful if you're out there and you're eating almond windmill cookies or dark chocolate dark chocolate I mean, chunk that's almond because cookies. they're actually made out of windmills i guess but hey you might be wired for sweets and ignore all of this psa don't do it you'll regret it it'll be a rocky road ahead so the next article is over on the hometown daily channel on uh, hometown.com and it's also the, sh- the name of the show um this is at business insider i believe um let me see yeah business insider they always have great photos when it comes to articles like this and uh, this one highlights it by saying photos you can own this 18 acre property that comes with three dome houses made out of barbed wire and sandbags for two hundred and seventy nine thousand dollars The rural ranch in McNeil, Arizona is looking for a new owner who can forego a mortgage. The 18 acre plot is outfitted with three hand built Adobe homes as well, or a well, sorry, and is powered by solar. It's not for someone who appreciates having a washing machine and a refrigerator. It's agent said, wait a second here. So it's not for 
really anybody who's used to modern conveniences in a home. Yeah, we haven't seen it yet. So, um, you know, don't knock, don't yuck this yum until you've seen it. Um, the AI might fall in love with this because all they need is a uh, five volts. Um, so it's an 18 acre ranch in the Southern Arizona desert, and it's looking for a new owner willing to rough it. <sighs> I'm nervous. Oh my. Oh, it looks like an anthill. Uh, Jordan Pandy. It looks like it belongs in Star Wars or Dune or something. Oh, Star Wars for sure. I wanted to go to Tashi um, Station and get some like power converters. Like where the converters. pod races are happening yeah. right by it or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yep, Jordan Pandy over at BusinessInsider.com put this article together. It actually looks like the dude that says it's a trap from that fish dude the guy that looks like a trout i can't remember his name oh man my star wars card is going to get taken away from me it's okay um it's not for someone who appreciates having a washing machine and a refrigerator so you're going to be you're going to have to rename yourself dusty um ransom ranch is located in mcneil arizona only a 35 minute drive from bisbee arizona which is supposed to help me um, as well as the Mexico border. By the way, McNeil, Arizona. I don't know why that reminds me of something. They must have been in the news recently. The domes were built by stacking sandbags filled with earth on top of each other, layered with barbed wire for stability in between, and finished with a cement mix. Everything is powered by solar, and there's two humanure outhouses making it a pastoral experience. Hell no. <laughs> By the way, are you looking for Akbar? Yes, Admiral Akbar. Um, it's just a different way of living. Listing agent Kimberly Ewing of Bisbee Realty Incorporated told Insider, but certainly it could be a year-round private residence if someone was willing to take that on. The unique property will force any buyer to embrace their settler urges. Let's check it out. So, yeah. This thing looks like a desert hobbit hole. That, that's it, pretty much... Hold it on. looks like it's for a unique buyer. <laughs> yeah, a termite. It looks like a termite mound. Like an industrial termite mound. Um, her original... Oh, okay, wait, wait, wait. Marsha Gibbons purchased the undeveloped land in McNeil, Arizona in 2007. Her original plan was to build a casita on the vast empty plot, but decided she wanted to try a more uncommon building style instead. Uh, when it said three dome houses, I thought maybe it was those geodesic domes. That's what I thought, too, from the headline. I hadn't clicked through the article. Yeah. Um, Gibbons was fascinated by the adobe building technique popularized by Nader Khalili, an Iranian-American architect. The same year she purchased the property, Gibbons traveled to Cal Earth, Khalili's uh, workshop in California, to learn about the technique with the hope of eventually building a home of her own. Wow. Um... So, yeah, we already described the process, but this is what it looks like. Brightly colored adobe dome. It's like I'm in Greece. 
<laughs> a bit. <laughs> one of the skylights um, is highlighted here in one of the Adobe domes. It really looks like a 3D printer kind of half-assed half -assed its way through the, the print process. A uh, little bit of over-extrusion maybe. Today the property includes three domes with small openings to let sunlight in as well as an outdoor kitchen and a straw bale pump house that holds the well. Wow. Gibbons made other improvements to the property like two outhouses and a large garden with an orchard of fruit and nut trees. Any perspective? Okay, let's just think about going to the outhouse in the middle of the night in Arizona. Yeah, you need and to use a... What could be lurking out there? You could. You need a UV light so that you can see if there's any scorpions in the trail. Rattlesnakes. Uh... Yeah, no thanks. I mean, I love the idea, but uh, hometown is high tech and doesn't play well with dust. Dirt, uh, let alone snakes, scorpions, and blistering heat. The Bis uh, Bisbee is a nearby town with a population of fewer than 5,000. It's only 25 minutes away from the property, according to the listing. 25 minutes only. Um, Gibbons often use the ranch as a community meeting place to discuss alter alternative building methods, Ewing said. All right. Interesting. I, I mean, it's fascinating that somebody did this. Um, one reason buyers may be balking at the listing isn't necessarily the price. It might be because the buyer needs to pay cash for going a mortgage. Ewing said that getting a mortgage for a property like Ransom Ranch isn't possible, but because of the alternative builds, it makes it a lot harder to secure a loan. It isn't impossible. That's I really uh, selling buyers on this. Yeah. In today's market, I really doubt that anybody would um, offer a mortgage unless the person is so wealthy that they don't have any concerns about the mortgage not being right, paid. Right, like almost zero risk. Yeah. Ewing also floated the idea of the property being used as a learning center for children. <sighs> All right. Except that they have to drive 25 minutes out to this. Yeah. So anyway, um, here it says that they're getting it to the age where they just can't manage this anymore. That's kind of a bummer, but we all get there eventually. Let's keep on hustling through the news, folks. The next article is over in hometown daily. Cocaine sharks may be consuming drugs dumped off the coast of Florida, sending them a little crazy. Scientists say sharks might be consuming drugs that are dumped off the coast of Florida. An upcoming Shark Week episode will investigate whether the cocaine bear of the oceans is going to be impacting animals. The scientists observed unusual behavior from sharks, including one fixating on an imaginary object. What? Uh, that's concerning. So hallucinating when sharks? When we see shark attacks, are they... Yeah, exactly. Are they hallucinating? They're just stoned out of their mind. Scientists think hungry sharks might be feeding on drugs dumped off the Florida coast and sending them a little crazy. The articles over at businessinsider.com by Aliyah Shoib. Um, I mean, do you think this is like the next snakes on a plane? <laughs> yeah. Sharks in my ocean. 
stone sharks in my ocean. It's yeah. Cocaine bear. Um, the scientists observed unusual behavior from some sharks. So it's, yeah, let's see here. It says it's a catchy headline to shed light on a real problem that everything we use, everything we manufacture, everything we put into our bodies ends up in our wastewater streams and natural water bodies and these aquatic life and these aquatic life we depend on to survive are then exposed to that said dr tracy fenera a florida-based environmental engineer and a lead member of the research team according to the guardian so they're going to be talking about this cocaine bear oh see that wow i hadn't even read any of this and i made the oh, same connection. oh i thought that's why you had mentioned it <laughs> no 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 uh, I, I don't read the articles uh prior to the show so uh, you get my reaction straight like uh, you're reading it so studies have shown that pharmaceuticals including cocaine meth ketamine had affected fish um huge bales of cocaine have washed up on florida uh, beaches for decades usually being thrown into the sea by traffickers fleeing from law enforcement if these cocaine bales are uh, a point source of pollution it's very plausible sharks can be affected by this chemical it reminds me of the seals in San Diego that are getting impacted by the um, plankton or something. What was it? I think it's algae. Algae. Yeah. Algae. You have to say it like that. Algae. Um, so it says cocaine is so soluble that any of the packages open just a little bit. The structural integrity is destroyed and the drug is in the water. So you've heard of runner's high. I guess shark high. At one point, a sandbar shark was seen swimming in circles as it appeared to focus on an imaginary object despite nothing being there. Well, maybe it was just swimming in a circle. No, I don't know what it could be, but anyway. They also filled balls of bait with highly concentrated fish powder to simulate cocaine and see how the animals react. It set their brains aflame. It was crazy, Heard says on the show per The Guardian. Um, however, the observations do not necessarily confirm that the sharks consume drugs. And Hind told Live Science he hopes the show will lead to more research in the area. So it's kind of like priming the pump to your own grant. <laughs> oh, that's true. Because <laughs> then people will be like, we need to investigate those cocaine sharks. That's right. And I feel like this is going to be one of these ridiculous news bites we're going to hear from somebody. I don't know who, but just like things are running amok. There's cocaine sharks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I'm not sure which uh, article I didn't put into the uh, VOD. So I'll be posting the show notes later. But if you hit exclamation point vote, it'll actually take you to um where you can vote on the articles that we talked about and let us know which ones you're interested in uh, and again i'll i'll put the uh, all of the links into the show note here in the vod for twitch and you'll see them over on youtube and in the podcast in the meantime let's go on to the last article for tonight we're gonna get a little boozy folks mobile is where the last article for tonight is Booz Allen to pay $377 million to resolve allegations related to uh, false claims. Because when somebody, uh, you know, 
If somebody had just accused you normally settle for $377 million when somebody accuses you of something? Yeah, over allegations. Just allegations. That you didn't do, yeah. Correct, correct. Yeah. Uh, Defense contractor Booz Allen Hamilton has agreed to pay a $377 million settlement over allegations that it improperly charged the U.S. government over a 10-year period, the Justice Department announced Friday. By the way, if $377 million had been doled out uh erroneously um over 10 years right it's it's somewhat simple math just imagine six percent of 377 million dollars invested in the stock market how much money it would be making each year and this is this is the amount that they say is over the allegations that it improperly charged so the negotiation got to that number has to be dramatically higher for them to uh, capitulate and say you know you're right because the settlement is not going to be the full amount because at that point they'll just take their chances yeah we'll go to court here here, here's our accounting so it's got to be over a billion dollars well let's go look at the article nick robertson is the uh writer for this article at the hill.com um now again i we don't know what the all of the data is behind this but we know from our experiences that nobody who works in business ever says you know what you're asking me to refund a billion dollars of course that is more than what i actually took from you so here is a here's Here's a billion dollars. What I actually took was 750 million, but I know that what I did was wrong. So here's a billion, right? It's always, no, no, no. We took $1.5 billion and we're gonna nickel and dime your ass down to 377 million. Um, So I'm curious if there was an actual higher amount somewhere. Um, The investigation was sparked by a whistleblower report from a former Booz Allen employee and covers alleged misconduct from 2011 to 2021. The whistleblower will receive nearly $70 million as a result of the settlement. What? So where is it? I want to know. There has to be a larger underlying number. It's probably not disclosed because normally uh, with these whistleblowers, the full amount, the type of litigation, it may be under seal. Gotcha. So the government contractors must turn square corners when uh, billing the government for costs under government contracts said principal deputy assistant attorney general, Brian M. Boynton, who heads the DOJ's civil division said must turn square corners. Maybe the AI can uh, analyze that and find out what the hell that means, because I don't know what that means. He added, today's settlement demonstrates their commitment to hold accountable contractors that knowingly overcharge the government and enrich themselves at the expense of the American taxpayers. Yeah, might want to talk to some. I'm not following the square corner statement. But... Yeah. Um, Booz Allen has always believed it acted lawfully and responsibly. It decided to settle this civil 
uh, inquiry for pragmatic business reasons to avoid the delay, uncertainty, and expense of protracted litigation, the government contractor said in a statement. The company did not want to engage in what likely would have been a years-long court fight with its largest client, the U.S. government, on an immensely complex matter. The company fully cooperated with the government and is pleased to move forward. So is a whistleblower who will probably never be able to work in government contracting. <laughs> but may not need to with that uh, payout. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, that right there, $70 million can easily um, let you live off of the interest alone quite richly, uh, let alone in your lifetime spend $70 million. Uh, you don't even need to be somewhat conservative about your spending habits. Um, so somebody won the $1 billion lotto, so um, I guess a whole lot of people are going to have to show up for work on Monday. Um, I don't know about Mega Millions, though, so. Anyway, over. there you go, folks. Yeah, I was hoping that both of them would hit a billion dollars at the same time, but. Yeah, Mega Millions is at 820 million. Yeah, it would have taken a couple more weeks for it to hit. Um, but it actually kind of turns, it has a snowball effect, an avalanche effect, because as we approach that $1 billion, everybody comes out of the woodwork. And it changes the odds, really, that somebody's going to win. I mean, the odds are the same, but now there's more people playing it. So the reality right. is there's more combinations that may be sold. So correct. Yeah. So, but you can't win if you don't play, but don't play if you have an addiction. Um, so with that said, we always pull you back to the very front uh, door of Ohm Town, which actually it's a big city. Not really a big city. You know, I'm just misspeaking tonight. Um, hometown is basically where all roads meet online so that we aggregate into these six main categories and 50 channels. Swing by, become a citizen. Um, it's really cheap and easy. Doesn't cost anything. There's only one ad at the very bottom of most of the pages right there. Uh, I have it blocked because I'm the admin. And so Google frowns upon it. It's a Google ad. It frowns on uh, pumping numbers by my own activities. So, um, but it won't be for you. And uh, we are, I'm in the process of uh, solidifying the Patreon account so that um, it interacts with Town in a way that removes the ad. So if you become a patron, um, you won't have any ads uh, on Town. Um, you'll have access to discord and, um, if you are interested in coming onto the show, uh, you have priority. You can actually come in and interact and talk, um, ask questions and whatnot in real time. Uh, we'll have a, a day where we do that. Um, and several other things, uh, the podcast will be ad free. Um, right now there's no ads anyway, uh, but at some point in the future there will be. But if you're just interested in supporting the uh, the show, the channel, the website, and everything, then you can go over to uh, Patreon and become a member there. Um, and a bunch of other things are in the works. So please follow. <laughs> um, with that, we normally go through the, the page to see if there's anything interesting that we want to talk about. 
Um, I've been fighting the urge to talk about Jason Aldean. Um, because I think that the claims that they, that there isn't anything going on there, I think is absurd. Somebody had to have told him at some point, you know, Hey, this is the optics of this is making it look like there's some racist shenanigans going on. Uh, but no press is bad press. So I've been hesitant to talk about it because I don't want to keep that hype train going. Um, well, there's the strange new worlds getting a musical episode. Oh, right. And that, that one right below it too is actually the one that I saw. Gotcha. Um, so yeah, we can check that out. Um, I think I'm going to end up as soon as I'm done here, I'm going to end up watching that episode. Um, let's see. Fill alien caverns and factories in automation game Tectonica. I've been playing that um, this week, as a matter of fact. I was hoping to play it today, uh, but I had mayoral duties that I needed to take care of. Let's see what else. Uh, 2024 is going to be even hotter than 2023. Yay! You know what that means? Solar panels are going to become more effective. <laughs> I got nothing. There's the uh, silver lining. <laughs> yep, there you go. Oh my goodness. Wow. Okay. There's another article about Ubisoft suspending your account. Um, this one was submitted by um, a... Uh, An external contributor. Yeah. Uh, an hometown citizen that... Um, yeah, I th this is and this submission is the one that kind of made me want to respond, but because the the statement that he makes, and I don't want to get into it at the end of the show, but the statement that he makes in the song and the song itself, try that in a small town, just completely is ignorant of the fact that in small towns you have homogeneity you have the same like mind because you don't have a plurality of disparate mindsets um and the small town that he's talking about is probably you know 500 people or 2000 people you know when you break into a town of 100,000 people you're not going to get that homogeneity like that so yeah and and then to say sing this song in front of a place that has so much history <laughs> um it, it's it's just mind-blowing um that somebody could be so stupid um anyway uh there's a bunch more over here at hometown um there's a little bit of everything so don't let one particular article weigh you down too much um, there's fun, there's games, there's entertainment, there's science, there's business, there's technology, uh, there's makerspace kind of things, music, movies. Plus, just... if you sign up for an account, you can um, save or ignore articles. Yeah, you can swipe the articles left and right and save them into two listings. And you can subscribe to channels um, so that you don't have to get the news um, although the front page news is always there, um, that's basically because it's the front face of, uh, hometown. 
Um, but when you subscribe to channels, um, you don't get, you can get a list of just the articles that you subscribe to. So, um, that that's a feature that's been part of the uh, service all along. So anyway, um, go over to hometown, sign up, but always come back here, be sure to follow and you can hang out and we can talk about the news every day, 9 PM until about 11 o'clock. Um, today we're doing it a little short, but, um, I, uh, I stream regularly, uh, throughout the day. I'll be able to, for, um, a couple more, well, for about a week, about 10 more days. Um, but then the, um, the fiscal year for hometown spins back up and I have to do my mayoral duties on the regular, which keeps me from streaming, um, a lot during the day. Uh, but I will be, uh, streaming, uh, every night, uh, probably from six, uh, all the way up until the nine o'clock hour, um, for me to do hometown hometown daily will persist in perpetuity. So, uh, be sure to follow and hang out. Okay. With that, I am Mayor Watt. That is hometown.com. And up there is the AI that keeps me in check. You want to say a bye-bye? Good night, hometown citizens. We will see you tomorrow at 9 p.m. Eastern for the hometown daily. That's true. I'm trying to make out what your colors are, but I don't... That green and blue... A good night, everybody.